What's going on, everybody? Welcome into the first episode of the Next On Deck Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Deegs. You can follow me on Twitter at Deegs Baseball, and you can follow us on Twitter at Next On Deck BSB. Basically, Next On Deck is just a baseball blog that I started roughly three weeks ago at this time. Uh, we, you know, we specialize in prospects, MLB draft, college baseball, high school baseball prospects, but we've also been dabbling into the fantasy market. So we're trying to be as well-rounded of a website as we possibly can. You can find us, obviously, on the internet at next-on-deck.com. A lot of good stuff coming the way here, but we just thought it'd be a really good idea to start a podcast up because, you know, this is probably the 550th uh, podcast created since quarantine started, but I have a pretty decent uh, history and experience of podcasting. I have hosted my own podcast before. You can find me on the Prospects Live podcast. I've jumped on several different episodes there with my fellow Prospect Live colleagues. So basically, what this podcast is going to be, man, is it just going to be an entertaining platform for us to sit down, talk some baseball, have a good time. We'll try to keep it as professional as possible, but we're going to be bringing on some guests that I'm pretty good friends with. And, you know, we we might get a bit crazy here and there, drop a couple words that we probably shouldn't say in front of our mothers and stuff like that. Definitely not in front of your kids, too. So... Um, you know, just stuff where we're just going to have a good time, talk about baseball, hopefully provide an entertaining uh, platform for everybody, but at the same time also, you know, give valuable information that you guys can take away. We're going to try and divvy this up into different shows, so we'll have like a fantasy baseball show. That's going to be kind of more geared towards bringing guys on from the industry. You know, today's episode is going to have Mike Curlin on, who's one of my pretty good friends in the industry. I'm sure we'll bring on other guys that I know that I have, uh, you know, that I am in regular contact with. Just talk about guys they like, guys they don't like, their process, how they got into it, basically just make the show about them and, you know, just kind of have a good time. And then we're going to have a separate prospect podcast, which I'm super excited for because if anybody, all you guys that know me, that's my niche, right? I love prospects. I love the MLB draft, college baseball, all that fun stuff where we're just going to, you know, talk about prospects. We'll probably end up doing some rankings here and there. There's going to be an MLB draft show because I extensively dove into the MLB draft really for the first time in 2020 because I had so much time on my hands and I had a really good time. So stoked to do that for the 2021 class. It's looking every bit as talented as last year's draft class, which was awesome. And, you know, we'll do minor league stuff. We'll do alt stuff. I'll bring guests on. You know, we're going to have some awesome prospect minds here. So basically, this is just going to be a super all-encompassing show where we're just going to have, I can't say it enough, we're just going to have a good time, enjoy it. Maybe we'll just, you know, have an episode where I'll just get some of my buddies on a round table. We'll just sit here, talk baseball, go through some stuff here and there, and just honestly have a good time while giving you guys the best information we possibly can. So um, I hope you guys like it. Uh, it's going to be an experiment, an adventure. Hopefully you guys are willing to jump on for the ride. But again, you can follow me on Twitter at Deegs Baseball. You can follow us, the site on Twitter at Next on Deck BSB. And I present to you episode number one with Mike Curlin, the host of the Bases Loaded Podcast Network. You can also find him on Beer, Bourbon, and Baseball and follow him on Twitter with all the awesome content he brings at Mike underscore Curlin. Without any further ado, let's jump right into it. All right. 
right, welcome in everybody to the very first episode of the Next on Deck Baseball podcast. Obviously, if you heard the pre-recorded intro, you know who I am already, unfortunately. But joining me today is my good friend, my MLB The Show former compadre, the host of the Basis Loaded podcast network, and one of the two members of Beer, Bourbon, and Baseball, Mr. Mike Curlin. How are we doing, Mike? I am fantastic. We go back a little bit. You know the real Mike behind the mic. And uh, you set the bar real low coming out the gates, so thank, thank you for that. Yeah, uh, Curlin and I <laughs> have had our fair share of friendly and non-friendly interactions on PlayStation. Oh, it's always friendly, dude. It's always friendly. We just <laughs> yell at each other. It's <laughs> on PlayStation at 2 in the morning. But um, like, like adults, like typical adults. Yeah, yeah, like typical adults, even though I'm like 11, apparently, to most people. Well, dude, you look it. Like, people can't see you, but you look 11. But um, I'm excited to bring you on, man. You, you were my first choice to bring, uh, you know, as a guest for this fantasy show, just because, you know, I've talked to you a lot about fantasy stuff over the offseason. You do a lot of good stuff on Twitter with the lineup takeaways and, and the video breakdowns and all that good stuff. So why don't you tell the people where they can find you and what kind of stuff you're up to these days? Well, I appreciate the kind words, Deegs. Not very few and far between when it comes to between us. But, yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland. And like Deegs says, my, my bread and butter right now are the lineup takeaways. I do those every day. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm doing a little – I write for Rotoballer. I do a weekly waiverwire article. I have a couple deep dives in the works, just slowly in the works. But other than that, man, it's just kind of like a bunch of – the, my favorite thing has been those those little breakdowns I've been doing. I enjoy looking for those swing uh, swing changes and the production changes and kind of how it can relate to fantasy production or production as a whole and how it helps with fantasy. So that's kind of why I guess you brought me on for the fantasy aspect of things today because I know you're more – but see, that's why I wish you've chimed in because I know you're a big – when it comes to eye test, that's kind of your thing. And these – seeing these changes i'm surprised you don't comment more on them because like like the stuff i'm seeing is very minimal because i'm not the best with the eye eye test shit i'm working on it but you might have i know you're more intimate with knowledge of okay sure you can see the change but you you understand what can happen like the mechanics behind like how it can help the player so you need to start chiming in on those man help me out yeah honestly i see a lot of people on twitter do like video breakdowns and stuff like that and sometimes it's just people just say really basic stuff and i feel like with yours like you say the basic stuff but then you go into like with analytics and stuff how so and so like you know changing where their hands start or you know shortening up the stride or closing up and then you go into how that affects like what they do and you make it a whole thread and i think that's why it's more informational because i've seen people on twitter just start going yeah michael conforto hands close to body short stride michael Conforto's awesome and it's just kind of like well you didn't tell me anything you just told no, me what michael no, Conforto does in like, the box i know and i understand that but my thing is is for instance why are those changes like i, I give the analytical breakdown because i understand the numbers but yeah. my struggle is like obviously the numbers are telling me why how it's working or what it's doing but you can understand well if he's on his back foot more maybe it's helping his load and which is in, increasing his power especially because he's putting the ball in the air more just stuff like that like the, that type of stuff that comes with just knowing how player mechanics work yeah that's where i'm still working on but like you mentioned the analytical stuff the numbers i kind of get it for the most part and i feel pretty confident in my breakdown of the analytics so that's why i use that as my strength but always putting out a little video or a little something for people to look at always helps people just love video so yeah anyway I mean, it's definitely something we need more of in the industry is just more video it's stuff. getting there man yeah it definitely live streams is. and live streams and i've seen um a bunch of places kind of going that route with little prayer player breakdowns and all that and it's kind of it's kind of a welcoming uh welcoming 
thing. Like, I'm yeah, because like you can write all you want, but most people will see like visualize well, yeah. stuff and it'll be so much better. So definitely, definitely like the video stuff. Um, let's kind of, let's kind of transition into how you got your start in this whole fantasy thing. So why don't you just give us your backstory here? Oh man, it's really weird to be on this side of the question. Cause my story is really boring. Um, like I, people have like a lot of really good stories. Mine was simply, I was listening to a podcast and it was CBS to be exact because it's a long time podcast. One of the first ones I ever listened to for fantasy. And I find myself like one day, I'm like, I'm arguing in my head to these people that I've never met, but you know, you feel like this weird rapport with, cause you just listened to them for years. And I'm yeah. sitting there like arguing, not agreeing with them. Doing my, and then as, as I start, as I realize I'm not agreeing with them, I'm like, well, obviously it's because I'm becoming more well-informed. And then I kind of transitioned to that into doing my own research getting com- comfortable with fan graphs, learning about baseball savant, understanding the analytics. I didn't know analytics a year and a half ago. I had no idea what they were. They were fancy schmancy jumbo numbers like that nobody knew anything about. And I just took the time to learn them all. And I realized I'm learning all this stuff. I'm not agreeing with these analysts fully that, you know, I'm listening to. I'm like, let me just put my opinions out there. And I decided to start a podcast because I was on Twitter. For, I just joined Twitter, like I said, about a year and a half, two years ago at this point. And I saw somebody saying, hey, anybody want to do a fantasy baseball podcast? Just let me know. And I kind of went from there, just talk to this guy, super helpful with getting it started. And I knew nobody. I didn't have like, it wasn't like I was involved or even a follower for a long time. I didn't know anyone. I just kind of jumped in and slowly built my following from there, Built like met some people, had them come on the podcast. And next thing you know, a year and a half later, this industry is amazing. You know, you, you've come to realize you meet a lot of awesome people, people that are like high up in the industry that have the following and have the respect of a lot of others they're just as they're like regular people like you and me man like they're everyone's kind of really cool i mean eos harris like he's like the rock star of his industry one of the guys i've had a chance to talk to and i met him at first pitch florida and the dude is as humble as he is smart like it's amazing and that's pretty much the industry standard like everyone's like that so it's it was a lot easier to grow in this and a lot easier to kind of find my path so to speak and I've written for fan tracks now for Rotoballer, places I never thought I'd ever write for, let alone. And like I said, the podcast is part of Rotoballer Network as well. So obviously it's like been a fast ascension, but it's been because it's just been, it's all about, you know, showing respect, being, and then just obviously being knowledgeable, just learning, honing on that craft. And it's a long wind. It's pretty much been a long winded way of saying that I started just by randomly being interested, wanting to just talk about baseball. I love talking. Obviously, I haven't shut up yet. And, um, it's just a matter of like wanting to share that knowledge, share my, my opinions. And I'm not always right, but I have been pretty decent with the hitter side of things. Pitching, I'm still learning really. Like I still know, I know pitching really uh, pretty well, but still learning the ins and outs. But my hitting side of things has been really strong. So that's why a lot of my analysis, especially, especially the video breakdowns and all that, have really geared towards the hitting side of things because I really feel like I have an understanding of it better than I do with the pitching so far. But yeah, that's a long-winded way of saying just started out of nowhere, had a passion, and I kind of just chased it down, man. Yeah, I think the big thing, too, is for people, and we'll go into your process here and what you do with analyzing hitters, but I think the big thing is that if, you know, people that want to get into this, I think you nowadays you really have to grasp the analytics, too, because, like, before we started doing that MLB The Show League, I probably checked Baseball Savant, like, seven times in my entire <laughs> life. And yeah. now, like, like I, I wrote something about Jake Cronenworth yesterday. I wrote a thousand words on Jake Cronenworth and why I think he's, like, awesome and going to be the Padres' long-term second baseman. And most of it was geared towards, you know, his stat cast page is unbelievable. And, yeah, it's only 22 games, but what he's doing is just insane. So, I think if you – if you one of the biggest 
you know, hints or tips I would give if you're really going to want to start doing this. And even for prospects too, I think you just have to understand the analytics because they give you, there, there, there's only so much more you can get or that you can get out of by watching a baseball game or even just looking at a basic box score. Like, sure, you can look at a guy's slash line, but I want to know why he's doing that. What, what, why is he walking so much? Is this sustainable and stuff like that? So definitely something that I need to do better of. And I think you do a pretty solid job with all your lineup takeaways and everything with all that analytical stuff. But um, let's jump into it, man. Tell me just real basic cookie cutter when you're going to break down a hitter. So Mike Curlin sits down in his Florida apartment. You know, his two kids are running around screaming, playing wife's yelling at him for being on his phone all the time. What do you do when you're going to sit down and break down a guy? What are, what are some things you look at? I love how you painted that picture because that is legitimately exactly <laughs> what happens. Every bit of what you just said is real life for me. When, when I sit down and break down a player, I wish it was as simple as a cookie cutter answer because it's really not because every player, pitcher or hitter, because I, I said I, I'm not terrible with pitchers by any means, but it's just, I just, like I said, hitters are my strength. And it always starts in a similar area. I look at the basic line. I, I ignore the, the production numbers. Don't get me wrong, the home runs and the RBIs and stuff like that. Well, if it's someone's hitting a lot of home runs, that'll bring, that might bring my attention to him. Or if someone's on a hot streak, that'll bring my attention to him. But it usually starts right away with the walks and strikeouts. I just look right, right at that. And then the triple slash. And then the Babbitt. Like, as simple as that sounds, those are, those are where the basics are. And that's fine. You start with the basics. But I'm looking – look, for instance, I pulled up, I pulled up Rafael Devers just because I figured having an example as I walk through my process might be a little more – a little easier for people to follow along. So if people are listening, want to pause right now, go pull up Rafael, Rafael Devers' Fangraphs page. And, uh, yeah, I'm just looking at him. His walks and strikeouts are off compared to last year and even compared to two years ago. The strikeout rate's up and the walk rates are down. Boom. You know what that tells me? Plate discipline. Big on plate discipline. Favorite metrics to dive into because I think it ha- it'll tell you a lot because if there's a player, even if he's striking out less or and walking more, plate discipline can – show you that it's sustainable or there's a reason behind that change or that he might fall off the cliff and Devers for instance he's struggling there so you start play discipline and you go and I'll look at like, and again this comes into knowing your analytics and a way somebody actually asked me how to get into learning the analytics today I explained to them I was like pull up fan graphs on one on one screen or like you know half half of the screen the other half pull up the fan graphs glossary page they have a glossary page and it helps you kind of learn like on the fly learn just some of these things and the only way you're going to learn them is just by, like i did is by utilizing them you got to go in and kind of familiarize yourself with it just like anything else it is like a foreign language at first there is no doubt this is like spanish or french or whatever language you don't speak and you want to learn this is that language and like i usually start right there at the plate discipline metrics and you look at devers like i said he's he's chasing more so his o-swing percentage is up which makes sense and last year it was high and i actually had red flags and reservations about him coming into this year because he was such a big player as far as chasing the ball. So because he's chasing a lot last year, but he was making a good amount of O contact, which is contact outside the zone this year, it's similar. Like it's slightly dipped, but the problem is he's chasing even more. So if he's chasing even more than he did last year while making less contact on pitches that he's swinging at, that explains why the strikeouts are going up and the swinging strike rate is also up. So that shows it's kind of all indicating that he's just struggling right now. He's swinging a little bit of a free swinger, and it explains the, the K rate increase. And again, we're not even, not even just the, the contact outside the zone, but the contact in the zone as well. So again, this is, I know you wanted a cookie cutter answer, but there's no cookie cutter answer. Oh, dude, because that's fine. I love it. This, this right here, like jump, you're jumping into it and you're seeing the contact is down. Like the short answer, the, the, the meat and potatoes of all that like jargon is that he's making less contact and he's chasing more pitches. Like that's the, but that's the thing. Like you can say that, 
but I like to try to, and that's been my approach with analytics. People are so big on the analytical analytical approach. They forget that the average fan, the average listener, the average consumer of fantasy baseball does not give a crap about analytics or they don't understand them or don't know them. And they are tough to consume. So my, what I try to do, my goal is to use them, but then break them down. Cause I, tr- I truly understand how difficult it could be to follow along with them. So like I said, meat and potatoes of this is he's swinging at more pitches outside of the zone. He's making less contact as a whole across the board in and out of the zone, which has caused him to have more swing and miss in his game, which again, that explains the swing rate or the, the strikeout rate. And he's walking less, which again, it can also be attributed to swinging more as far as outside the zone and all that. Like he's not being as patient, the ball, so he's seeing less balls. And again, it all makes sense. And I'm trying to break it down, but that's kind of like that's where my assessment usually starts with any player. Right there is plate discipline. Because again, I think a lot can be told from that. And from here, it's like now I'm gonna dive into the savant. Like I have multiple pages up. I'll dive into the savant page, which I don't have his up, but for instance, I'll look at it like where I'll go next is my um when it comes to him, would be like launch angle. Let's look at his launch angle and see if like there's a change there. Because what launch angle can tell you is, first off, it's the average launch angle. People need to understand that. So you need to actually go look at the, the chart that breaks it down because average launch angle could tell a, a different story. Because, for instance, I think Puig was like an example last year that it was an average launch angle. Of, it was like really good. But if you look at how it trended, it actually went, it was like high, high, high. And it trended to, towards like under league average to the bottom of the to end of the year. So although it was average right in the middle, essentially they told two different stories and he was two different players and you look at his, his launch angle. It's right in line with last year, just a quick look at it. Cool. So then there's nothing changing in his swing, but he's making less con- a good quality of contact. The sweet spot percentage is that it was actually a sweet spot percentage is up, but his barrel rate is down. It's a weird, it's a weird thing. Like I said, so I'll start there. I'll look at launch angle, see if there's any changes there. And then I'll dive into because launch angle can kind of correlate with like ground ball rate and, and fly ball rate. And he's actually hitting more ground balls this year which is bad for somebody like him who doesn't have a plus speed tool. So stuff like that, I guess I'll go into that and I'll look at his pull rates his, his, and all that. Like he's pulling the ball less. So if you're pulling the ball less, putting the ball on the ground more, you're looking at a guy that would need BABIP to help with that batting average. And he's not the guy with, you know, 23rd percentile sprint speed. He's not going to be the guy that beats out a bunch of balls on the ground. So it's a bit of a process. And again, with his launch angle, maybe, and again, not being such a big difference, He's not somebody I would look into a swing change too much on, but that's where the swing changes come from. Because I look at launch angles, and if there's a swing, a launch angle up or down, there's a chance there might be a tweak in the mechanics. And that tweak in the mechanics can mean something because that, that could mean that there's a tangible change behind this change, which is can sustain good or bad production. So it's kind of, like I said, it's a long-winded way of saying the process is very in-depth, but every player takes me a different direction. He's just he's just struggling all around. Like you see, like my big thing was it with him. It's like you can tell he's just struggling at the plate right now to see the ball, and he's hitting more ground balls. And that the mix of the two are just a recipe for disaster. I, I'm not saying he won't turn it around, but in a shortened season, I'm not betting on it. And I know I got ahead of ourselves because he's one of the guys that I'm just not buying into this year. And I know that's one of the things we're talking yeah, talk about. So, good. so but he was just an example because it's just such again such an in depth process. And then with pitchers, I'll give that one more of a wide overviews this i'll look for them it's big i'll be, it's big on pitch mix do we like oh actually again we'll, we'll start with the surface numbers we'll look at era and the, the basic era era indicators as far as like you know we'll look at era then we'll look at fip xfip and sierra see if they're all in line if there's a little thing if there's ups or downs we'll take a look at that but then mostly then you'll go into the strikeout rate if, if it's up or down and then then it goes back into that plate discipline you'll see if they're getting chases on their pitches you'll see if they're getting swinging strikes on their pitches and if they are or not, see how that correlates with the strikeout rate. And sometimes you can see regression coming from that 
point of view. And then a big thing as far as tangible change with pitchers is their pitch mix and their velocity. Big on checking into that. Brooks baseball is fantastic for that. And that's kind of, like I said, it's kind of a rabbit hole. You kind of, every player you'll find something new about. And you kind of just see which, where the player takes you. But my starting place essentially is always the surface stats. And I usually just go right into plate discipline and then dive into the Savant page and stuff and get deeper and deeper with every player. Yeah, I mean, that was a lot of good information in a five-minute span. So, that was awesome. Uh, it's, I can do this all day. You know this. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love this stuff, man. I think for me, the biggest thing is play discipline. Like, I feel like if you're going to be a big, a successful big league hitter and you're striking out a ton or you're chasing a bunch of pitches and you're not, you know, willing to either, you know, work a count, take a walk, or just even spit until you get your own pitch, I, I just don't think you can be a good – like a consistent, solid big league contributor if, if your play discipline is, is bad. So, like from a prospect standpoint, when I'm looking at – guys coming up like is, is honestly part of the reason why I was low on not low but not as high on 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 Luis Robert is because I saw that guy take terrible swings at double a curveballs and I'm like okay well what is he gonna do when he gets to the big leagues and he, he starts to see you know these wicked balls that move like frisbees like like what, what what's gonna happen but I mean he's he's obviously doing well there is gonna he is going to regress not to get on a tangent Luis Robert's not going to be this kind of guy for his entire career but um yeah play discipline is definitely the big one but that was a lot of good information so let's kind of take all that all that analytical stuff and segue over to you know just give me some guys three four whatever whatever you got that you're in on for this season maybe guys that are super hot right now that are on the on Mike Curlin's Christmas wish list or maybe a guy who's struggling but everything looks good and you're in on him for that well I'm this is more of like a guys that either a I was in on prior to the season and have kind of paid off and been but most of them have been better than expected for instance, a guy that I was really in on that, that and then I felt, I'm not going to lie, I felt off of him with the shortened season because I thought there was going to be more of a platoon concern. But that was Brandon Lau of the Rays. Oh, yeah. Love Brandon Lau. The power going back to last year, like it was middle. I know he had the injury, so kind of was like overlooked, but it was very much like, like a legit, like the power was never a question. The part that I'm more or less watching right now is how he continues to hit versus lefties because lefties have been like kind of the struggle early on in his career. And people, that, that was like why people were so worried about him being platoon in a platoon. But the, the guy has four home runs this year against lefties already batting 400, like the lefties it's, it's looking great. And I mean, the strikeout rate is only 17.2% against lefties. And again, the 400 batting average with a 483 OBP and a one and a, a 1,000 slugging. Okay. 1.0. <laughs> yeah, you don't see that often. But anyway, it blew my mind. And he's just he, – first off, he's just seen the ball amazingly this year. And to see him like, – I don't expect him to obviously sustain the success at all as a whole because the guy is absolutely on fire. But I expect him to regress a little bit. But the, the hit tool has always been solid. The power has been amazing. And seeing the growth versus lefties, even if it only sustains to a certain point, like even if he regresses to like a 250 hitter against lefties, that's all he needs to be because of how well he hits Fridays to be a solid long-term big league bat. He will be moving to the outfield though, because obviously the Rays are loaded in middle infield in that yeah. <laughs> between yeah. what they have, what Wander, they Adonis have Bruhan, Wander, Bruhan, Xavier Adonis, Edwards. Yeah. Like yeah, Xavier Edwards is another one. Yeah. yeah, so that's going to – and he has played the outfield this year. He's played right field. So he does have outfield eligibility now in, in redraft leagues. So between being outfield and second base eligible, he's a guy that's obviously very useful in fantasy. And, again, we're seeing it just in general. The growth, for me, again, goes back to his strikeout rate. Last year, everyone was so worried, again, about the strikeout rate. And then this is where stat cast data can really affect you. Because last year, if I remember correctly, he was like 
30 points because expected batting average is a big stat people look at. And he was like 30 points above his expected BA in overall production. But people forget that his – I mean, he's not – his speed isn't, like, fantastic. The guy has, like, a – right now it's only a 44th percentile sprint speed. So it's nothing to, like, write home about. But it's still good enough to be a decent – like, decent sustain – like, help sustain with some bad things. But he's still over – hitting over his head this year. But, again, some aggression is going to be – is going to come. But the strikeouts – are down as a whole, and that's why I wanted to see because in double A and triple A, the guy always had just about a 23% strikeout rate, and this year it's at 23.7. So that strikeout rate is believable. And if he regresses again back to lefties a little bit, I'm okay with that because I expect that the Babbitt will fall to 377. He's not going to be a 377 Babbitt guy, but this is a long winded way of saying I'm buying into what he's doing. I think long term he's gonna be fine too. And Although he won't stick at second base, he's going to stick with the Rays or unless they trade him or, you know, whatever they do because the Rays are the Rays. But all in all, I love what I'm seeing here, and I'm totally bought in on it. Yeah, I love Brandon Lau. Not because he used to hit tanks for me in MLB The Show, in that MLB The Show league. But, he's awesome. um, I, I mean, one of the, he's one of my favorite DFS plays. For any of you guys who play DFS, I love Brandon Lau every day because he hit bats right in the middle of that lineup. He crushes, and the Rays have been going up against some pretty terrible pitching. But um, I think, the, the, yeah, the biggest takeaway, obviously, with him is how he's demolishing left-handed pitching right now. Obviously, it's, it's probably an anomaly because if he slugs 1,000 against lefties for the rest of his life, he'll be the best player of all time. But like you said, that even if he regresses back to being average against lefties, he's going to be an amazing hitter because he crushes righties. So definitely in on Brandon Lau. Yeah, and another guy that I'm liking a lot, and I just – I know it's not going to sustain to the 300 batting average or so that he's at right now, is Mike Yastrzemski of the Giants. Oh, he was yes. A, yeah, yes. he's a guy yeah, – he's a guy that broke out last year, but because of his age, what is he now, 30? Oh, he's 29 he's, right now. Yeah, 29. Turns th- he turns 30 in like three days or four days. So happy, happy early birthday, Yastrzemski. But <laughs> he's over here – Last year he showed it. I mean, he, he, you know, last year he batted two, two seventy two, three thirty four, five eighteen. This year it's three eleven, four thirty six, six fifty six. It's not going to sustain. But the power is very much real. The batting average can be a two sixty to two seventy type of thing. I mean, I, I don't see why not. But the plate discipline is fantastic, especially the rock, the walk rate. I mean, even going back to twenty eighteen in Triple A, it was eleven point eight. Last year for in Triple A, it was thirteen point five. Came up to the bigs. Didn't walk as much, but again, a kid coming up to the bigs for the first time, you expect him to be a little excited. The strikeout rate, even in a small sample, and it wasn't even a small sample, it was 107 games, but 26%. This year, he's come back to being more of that patient hitter. The strikeout rate has improved to 20.9%, which is fantastic, and the walk rate is up to 18.2%. That is absurd. I don't expect that that to sustain by any means, but he's always been a high walk guy. The play, and play discipline for me has always been something I buy into because a player with a good eye – will usually succeed at the major league level it goes back to you and, and your prospects and that's why even i'm not a big prospect guy but when i do look into a prospect the first thing i looked at look at is the walk and k rate every time because i always buy into a guy who has a good eye for the ball but yeah the, the power is very much real he has six home runs this year already has put, put up 21 last year he's gonna be a solid safe guy he's never gonna be somebody who's flashy he's never gonna be somebody who's gonna win you a league but he's a guy that you can get just plug him in and kind of just forget about him he's just the high floor type that I can't again won't win your league, but we'll be far from losing your league, and that's why I'm really in on him. And I expect him to be traded. I don't know where he's going to go. I would love to see the. I know the Yankees are crowded in the outfield, but take his bat, put it in Yankee Stadium, and you could see a 35 home run guy. Yeah, <laughs> that's. And I- <laughs> 
a guy that I'm interested in, you know, you know, they, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought Yastrzemski up because his teammate Donovan Solano is like one of my favorite. I don't favorite. get it. <laughs> I don't get it because he doesn't hit the ball hard. Okay, like his stat cast numbers, barrel percentage, exit velocity, hard hit are blue, but he doesn't strike out a lot. His expected batting average is like amazing. His expected weighted on base average, his ex woba is amazing. So like. He's the weirdest guy ever because he's 32 years old. He doesn't hit the ball hard at all, but he barely ever strikes out, and his slash line is, like, incredible. Obviously, it's, it's going to regress, but uh, is, is one of the most interesting guys, in my opinion, Donovan Sano. But Mike Yastrzemski, a guy who last year broke out onto the scene, you know, as a 28, 29-year-old rookie. Um, I, I, I love what he's doing. I wish he wasn't playing in San Francisco. Like if, if, if this guy was playing in some band box stadium, like Yankee stadium, where he could just pull everything and hit, I could, he could probably have 40 home runs every single year. So, um, <laughs> well, I expect him to get traded, man. 29 he years has old, to get young. traded. He has to get traded, especially People. for a team that, you know, is, tr- is trending in that direction. Farhan Zahidi is wanting to get young. They've invested a ton of money in the international market as of late. Like, all their top prospects are 20, 21 years old. I, he has to get traded. I just wonder where – I mean, I don't expect them to keep him. There's no reason. He's a perfect piece for a competing team. I just wonder how that's going to translate. Because, you know, you go to a new team, if, especially if he goes to the AL, where he hasn't seen half the pitchers probably – and all that, I just – he might have a little bit of a slump to end the year, which might suppress the price of going into next year, which is fine. I'll take the discount. Buy low if that happens in Dynasty even. But I just – again, you have to, people have to remember, he is a late bloomer. He's going on 30 – he's going to be 30 years old this year. So, like, people like people don't realize. Like, he's like – people might think he's 25, 26. No, the guy's 30. He probably only has a couple of years left. But he's a, definitely a good win-now piece for Dynasty and a guy that I'm buying into – just got to watch where he gets traded. I mean, that's not going to chase me off him by any means, but it always just something to think about because he's going to see new pitchers he's not familiar with. That's all. And I guess one more guy that I know he's kind of a hot topic and it's Kyle Lewis. And I I, I was expecting at some point in this podcast for Kyle Lewis to be mentioned only because I'm, I'm in, but I'm out. Does that make sense? Like he's weird. Cause I was super in on him for his price, but now the hype is so much. I actually went out and said I wouldn't trade him right now for Pete Alonso. This was, of course, before Pete Alonso put up a couple tanks in a game. But <laughs> I just my, – my argument was I didn't want to sell high on – this season, short season. I, and, again, that was a very bold take, and I'm, I'm going to stand by it because in a shortened season, I'm not betting on players to bounce back. There's not enough time. In a 60-game season, that's already like kind of a small sample in, on the grand scheme of things because we see players make uh, adjustments midseason all the time. We just do. There is no midseason. The midseason yeah. is like what in two weeks? That's the midseason technically. Yeah, yeah. And and there's just not enough time for a player to bounce to turn it around. So we'll talk about Pilons in a little bit because he's a guy that I'm not quite buying into. And I know you kind of again, I'm t- I'm telling, I'm giving hints to what we're talking about today. But Kyle Lewis is a guy I'm kind of in on, and honestly, I'm surprised he's stealing because I know with the with the injuries and all that. People weren't sold on the steals, but the Mariners as a whole are stealing. And, yes, Carlos only has two stolen bases, but as long as they're letting him run, his value is up. And, yes, the hard hit data looks bad. The average exit velocity looks bad. But that's because he made a legitimate change to the plate. You look at him, he's one of the bigger swing changes. He went from, like, being crouched over, like, Mo Vaughn-esque almost yeah. last year to, like, like pretty upright, back lower, a very noticeable swing change. And with it, and then when I look at swing changes, again, my eye goes right to launch angle. And it's actually down, and people hate seeing a launch angle down. Because that's going to hurt the, the power production. And, we're, again, we're seeing it in his hard hit rate and his exit velocity that the power isn't quite there. But 
no one doubts the power. We know the raw power is there, and he still has five home runs on the year. And that's I think what ha- the reason why the, da- the that data is low is because he's hitting a lot of ground balls still. I wish the ground ball rate would come up, but it's not. It's just not coming up. It's up from last year, of course. It's up five percent or six percent from last year, which is still a positive production from from that type of standpoint, but still too high at forty five point two percent. But the reason why I'm buying into him being at least a four category producer and the batting average to remain is because the line drive rate is where a lot of that change is gone. He went from yeah again. I know the ground ball rate is really really high, but he's hitting thirty five point five percent line drives. And when when you hit that many line drives, and he's not a pull heavy guy, so he's hitting most of it up the middle and opposite field. That's going to play well to more of an all fields approach and be more of like a batting average. It makes the batting average more sustainable. I don't, he's not a 300 hitter, but could he be 270 instead of a 250 guy? Like I expect, I expect him to be more of like a 30 home run, 250 type of hitter upside. Now I'm thinking 25 home runs, but 260, 270 hitter. So that gives you a little more production in the batting average, which in this day and age, batting average is really hard to come by. So his skill set could be more fantasy relevant if he offers that batting average that he I didn't initially think he would and less power. And right now he's showing, yeah, he's hitting 344. That's not going to sustain. But his expected batting average is 287. And sure, he might see more shifts and all that, but I don't expect that to be an issue this year. That's the thing. Like, teams are going to adjust. But are they going to adjust this year? I don't know. And you just kind of have to ride it. Again, he's not going to hit two. Uh, 344 but he has a sprint speed in the 79th percentile so I know the sprint is obviously the sprint speed is above average he's hitting the ball a ton on the ground but that's not terrible for his sprint speed because if you hit the ball a lot on the ground you can still beat out ground balls you see Modesty do it all the time Tatis do it all the time yeah Luis Robert do it all the time because plus speed plays so if you hit weak grounders on the on the ground if you hit weak ground balls you're going to beat out a lot of those it's just it is what it is and there's just not a whole lot of – yes, again, he's going to regress. I can't say that enough, but I think there's enough there to buy into it for the rest of this year and just kind of ride it out. I'm not selling him because I don't think you're going to – I mean, it depends on what you're getting for him. Everybody has a price, but I just don't think you're going to get in return what he's worth to you, at least while you ride out the hot streak. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm okay with – and I, this is going to come for people that know me because I – hate Pete Alonzo, but I think I'm okay <laughs> with, you know, Kyle Lewis over Pete Alonzo, just in redraft, you know, obviously long-term, I think I'm going to take the polar bear just because he's got big time power and stuff like that. Oh but, yeah. Long-term. I'm not questioning, but it. I, let's I, kind of strictly this year. Let's kind of transition now. Why, what, what, why are you out on Pete Alonzo? And I mean, quick, just pull up his baseball savant page, right? You'll see a lot of blue. He's, he's not really hitting the ball that hard. His throw percentage is solid, but you know, if you compare it to last year, it's nothing close to what he was doing last year. I think the big thing that I noticed just by looking at it, you know, just from the beginning, striking out more, he is walking a, a, a little bit more, but his launch angle is down from basically 15 degrees to nine degrees this year. So obviously small sample size, but um, give me your thoughts on Pete Alonzo, why you're out on him. And are you potentially out on him long-term? Because I know people are, there are some people not named me because everybody knows I don't like Pete Alonzo, but that are kind of fading Alonzo long-term given where you have to pay for him because he's always going to have this 50 plus home run tag attached to him. His ADP is probably always going to be pretty high because he's legitimately when he's, when he's right, one of the best power hitters in baseball, but what are your thoughts on Pete Alonzo overall? Overall, it depends on your format. In 
in like OBP leagues, I'm all about him. I think he's worth the price because he walks a ton. The guy, I mean, going back to double A in 2018, 15.8 walk percent, percent walk percent, 11.0 in, in, in triple A of 2018, 10.4 last year, and 13.9 this year. So the walks are not a question. OBP formats, if you play OBP over batting average, he's worth every bit of the, of the price of admission. He just is because he has the polarizing power. But your most leagues, most roto leagues especially, batting average is a category people play five by five and those leagues he's a three category producer at best and i'm out and i've been out i mean last year he put up a 26.4 percent strikeout rate this year it's actually back it's it's at 27.8 percent it's come back down it was at 30 percent prior to the last two games but i'm i mean maybe i'm nitpicky but the last two games have been against my marlins and my marlins right now are trotting out triple a pitching at best yeah like so Pete Alonso should be crushing triple a pitching but Regardless, he's he, they moved him down to sixth in the lineup. It might be a way to try to get his back going because you know they have players like JD Davis who I love out producing him. They have hey Robinson Cano that suddenly found his youth again. He's drinking the right water. I don't know what he's doing there, but he's if you want to call it water, I call it steroids. I'm joking, but he has been popped. Hasn't he been caught for steroids yes, in the has. past? That's what I thought. Yeah. So maybe I'm not joking. I don't know, or maybe him and Nelson Cruz share share the same trainer. But um, <laughs> and I'm obviously joking again. It's tongue in cheek. People get upset about that stuff, but. For all I was saying, oh, so P. Alonso. But my thing is, is uh, I'm not sure how much I'm buying into P. Alonso. And if you look at like, his career, I mean, you go back to his – I'm trying to go back to 2019 page where he was doing so fantastic, right? But people, like, almost ignored the 235 second half. He batted 280 in the first half, batted 235 in the second half, and people were like, oh, he's just, you know, had some struggles in the second half. But the strikeout rate is what increased as well because he was striking out only 24.5% of the time and it went up to 28.7% of the time. So – and that production followed over – to this year where he's still striking out almost 30% of the time. And that reminds me of almost like Chris Davis where the year, uh, not, not K-Riss, but C-Riss Davis from the Orioles where he had like a 30% strikeout rate but put up 50 whatever bombs or whatever that was that crazy year. This Don't get me wrong, he's not going to be that bad. But I think he's more of a 250 hitter with 40 home run upside. But the problem is, is people, like, none of us knew this, but the Mets put in a humidor this year. We just found this out like, like a couple weeks ago. Like, like four MLB teams randomly put in a humidor, the Mets being one of them. And Pete Alonso, like, his one calling card, the reason why people were, like, drafting him early was for the power potential. People thought he could hit 50. I never thought he was going to be 50. I think he's still more of a, four, a 35 to 40 home run hitter. But if you're hitting 250 and doing that, that really puts a da- – uh, for me, puts a damper on his price and his, and his value because power is such an easy commodity to come by and a skill set to come by that I don't think that a few extra home runs is worth the draft price. So if his, if his price doesn't come down next year, I'm going to be out on him again in, in terms of redraft. But this year I was already down on him. The strikeouts are concerning. I want to see him string together some hits, some games, you know, coming, coming up here and really get going. Otherwise, like, I would just sell based on his name, to be honest. Because I again, I just can't buy. Like looking at that profile, there's just too much, too much volatility there as far as the batting average goes. Because again, the power and the, the production will come. But if he continues to fall in that lineup, and if the strikeouts don't correct, I don't see a path to success outside those. I don't know. I'm, again, I'm just, I'm just down. I know you don't like him, so this is probably you like hearing yeah. this. I know you like hearing. This. I'm just, I'm not big. I'm just not a big Pilonzo guy. But yes, three categories great. But the problem is, is he's always going to cost more than a three-category producer, it seems like. Yeah, and I mean, I'm going to put my, you know, biases aside here because I, it's been very well documented. I don't like Pete Alonso. But, like, I'll never have him on any of my fantasy teams because, honestly, I just really don't think he's that good of a hitter. Like, I, I think he's going to be like a 240, 250 guy. He's going to hit, 
yeah, he's going to hit 35, 40 home runs. Maybe he's never going to have 50 home runs again. If he ever hits 50 home runs again, I'll be shocked. But the reason he'll never be on one of my rosters is because, or at least redraft is why would I pay up for him when I could just get CJ Crone later? It's to say they're, they're basically the same guy. Like CJ Crone. If Crone could stay healthy. If, if he stays healthy. Good. Yeah. But I mean, like he, you're, you're going to get 30 to 35 home runs out of CJ Crone. He's going to yeah. hit 240. He's not going to give you anything else but power, which is the same thing as Pete Alonso. Like I'd rather invest in other guys up towards the top of the draft on name value alone. Cause he's always going to have that 50 home run tag to him. Then, you know, when I could just wait and get somebody that's going to do the same thing just later on in the draft. Oh, so for sure. I all mean, right. <laughs> that's why that, that's really what it is. It's strictly based on his value and his perceived value. And it's never going to be, it's always going to be, he'll never be like under a fifth round pick type of thing. And I'm never going to want to take him as a top. Exactly. Five pick. Exactly. So let's move into a guy that I, I actually really like. And I, I was kind of sad that you kind of poo pooed on him earlier, but Rafi Devers is having a terrible 2020 season. He plays for a terrible Boston Red Sox team, which probably has something to do with it. But last year was unbelievably good. He was everything you wanted to see out of a guy who was such a highly touted prospect coming up, still incredibly young, uh, basically just was amazing. He was an immaculate hitter last year and now comes into this year all the hard hit numbers are down. He's chasing and stuff, right? Uh, I know that you kind of already broke him down, but do you think that what we saw last year from Rafi Devers is more who he is? And this is just kind of a guy who came into this year, wasn't ready, kind of struggling a little bit out of the gates. And eventually, you know, we should expect him to regress back to the mean, which is a solid 280, 290, 300 type of guy that could be a middle of the order type of bat. Or is he, you know, due for some serious regression and was 2019 more of a peak year? I know it's hard to say based on 20 games <laughs> in 2020 and the weirdest season of all time, but I, I just kind of want to hear your overarching thoughts on Rafi Devers. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to buy into him bouncing back, but I'm, I was always of the idea that possibly last year was that, like, peak season, not in terms of power, but in terms of just overall, you know, stat line. Cause I didn't, I, I just didn't think like, I don't know, just something, nothing about him to me screamed. What was it? Yeah. 311. Yeah. Nothing screamed, nothing about him screamed 300 hitter to me. Can he be a 270, 280 guy? Sure. But the home, like, I think the power, you know, that we saw 32 home runs last year that can return. Like no one's questioning the power, but I also heard now, maybe if I'm wrong, let me know. But I heard he came back this year back in bad shape. Like he wasn't in the shape that last year was like the best shape of his life type of stuff that you know yeah. everyone says. I heard he came back this year looking a little doughy. So that could play. He does, into it. he does look a little softer than he did last year. But that he was, always had that look in his face. Yeah, he always kind of had that look. Yeah, the body looks a little softer. But that's that's not good. You don't want to see that exactly. type of thing in a young exactly. player. And looking at some of his again, just going back to some of the metrics I'm comfortable looking at, it's just this year is more in line with 2018 and 2017, unfortunately. 20 again, 2019 being the outlier. And every year since his rookie season, he's chased more and more. 20, 36%, those swing going up from 36 to 37.3 to 40.5 to 44.3. Again, just not, not going the direction you want it to go. The problem is, is as that happened, the O contact, meaning how much, you know, the contact game, how much contact he made on pitches outside the zone was 63%, 63.8, 63 61.9, the true outlier. And down this year to 69.3, which wouldn't be bad. 69.3 would not be terrible or bad at all because the league average is 60.6. But the problem is, is again, goes back to 
he's making more, he's making good contact outside the zone, but he's swinging more. So in reality, he's not actually making more contact outside the zone. It's, he's swinging at more bad pitches, making contact on bad pitches. What happens when you make contact on bad pitches? Bad results usually. Yeah. So that's where my concern is. And the swinging strike rate is more in line with those first two seasons than last year as well, which we saw it improve last year. So the swing and miss was there. He was just making more contact and better quality contact last year. I think he's still good. He's going to regress positively. I'm just not buying into the positive regression this year. Would I be looking to buy low possibly? Sure. I just don't think that people are going to be selling low right now. I don't think you can buy him for 80 cents on the dollar because people went from not selling to totally bought into, okay, he's available, but I still want a premium return because he's still young. What is he? I don't even know how old he is. I know he's like, what, he's like 25. 25. He's 23. Like, he's 23. Yeah. He came up when he was like 19, like yeah. super young. So I'm not out on him by any means long-term, but this year I totally am. I mean, I wasn't even on, I wasn't even on him last year because again, I saw that uptick in that O contact and the O swing. And I, and I always, my big thing was, is if he takes a step back in that contact rate on the pitches outside the zone or, if, or if anything like of that sort happens, we're going to see the batting average come down. And without the batting average, that puts him back in that Pete Alonso category yeah. of like power first, the skills that didn't play well. So this is a little bit, maybe more of a, a recency bias for me because this was the kind of guy I was fading in general as is. I just I have a hard time buying into him returning around this year, but long term I'm not too concerned. And the guy is underperforming on breaking pitches. He's underperforming on fastballs, although not by a ton on the fastballs. His batting average being 191 with an expected batting average of 200 against fastballs and the breaking pitches. Oh, he's had his batting average is 150 with an expected batting average of 237. So again, there's some regression regression due there. I just don't see – but then there's no way last year was that much of an outlier because – and let's look at some other seasons. Batting has – oh, maybe – see, that's why now I'm wondering how much was last year, like just looking at how he attacked pitches. Last year he saw career-high fastballs as far, as far as 59.2%, and he crushed fastballs last year. He had 306 batting average against with the XBA of 299. But prior to last year, he had a 266 batting average against fastballs and then he had 282 in 2017, but with an expected batting average of 220. So he's never like it's been ups and downs against fastballs, and he's seeing less of them this year anyway. He crushes off speed, but I don't know. I'm just I, I'm just looking into him, and it's it's driving me crazy because I don't know which. I think there has to be a happy medium, is what I'm trying to say. I think last year might have been the peak as far as batting average goes, being a 300 hitter, but. Obviously, I don't think he's this bad, and I think there's more of an in-between here. 270-ish hitter, 30 to 35 home runs. Quality bat. That's a quality bat. I just don't see it happening this year. Yeah, I, I, I know. I, I feel like I repeated myself. I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off. I feel like I've repeated good. myself a lot with him. I, it's just like I'm looking at it, and I just don't know what to do. <laughs> like, I, And I hate – no one ever says that. People are so afraid to admit that sometimes they're just confused with the player. I'm totally confused with him. I don't know how to treat him in Dynasty. But in redraft – I, I don't want any – I have no interest in buying low even. I think it's time for a Mike Curl and Rafi Devers deep dive this offseason. It, it might be time after I'm done with the Pete Alonzo one. But, but uh, <laughs> I think the thing for me is, you know, obviously, yeah, I'm, I'm out on him this year too. Like I think, one, he's playing on a terrible team right now. They, they're struggling mightily. I, that's obviously – that has to – you know, something – 
that has to be a part of why he's struggling so bad because the whole team is struggling so bad and it's hard to, you know, perform when your whole team is playing bad. But another thing, you know, Rafi Devers, highly touted prospect with, with the Red Sox. He's supposed to be a big time guy. He's still 23 years old, which honestly is absurd. I, I didn't think he was that young, but uh, he's got a stick. There's pedigree behind him. I think he's going to eventually figure it up. You know, I, I think he'll eventually figure it out. So if you're in a dynasty league and I, I mean, the guy that has Rafi Devers is willing to move him based on he's struggling so bad right now. He, he's probably a buy low candidate for me. Go in there, make an offer, see what you can get, scoop him up because I think he's going to be really good. And once the Red Sox get back to being really good, which they probably will two or three years, he's going to be batting right in the middle of their lineup. So, all right, last guy here, Curlin. Who's your last guy that you're fading? Uh, I if there be, is a last guy. No, no, there's. I can probably talk about a few more. But the, the one guy I'll bring up, and it goes back, you mentioned him for a brief moment, was Luis Robert, man. I'm just not. Oh, this is what I like to hear. I'm just not digging it because we give Mondesi, don't get me wrong, and I hate to put him and Mondesi in the same sentence because Mondesi isn't the prospect that uh, Luis Robert is. He's not the physical specimen. He's not the crazy upside guy. But Mondesi always concerned me because he relied heavily on his speed and 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 Babbitt skills and all that and Luis Robert when you look at him the power is very much legit no one's questioning that the raw ability is there but man am I questioning the long-term viability unless he fixes his uh his plate discipline because we're looking at a guy who's struck out you know always not terribly what low to mid 20 percent all the way through the minors but again you mentioned big league pitching it's a way different ball game he is crushing hanging pitches like he should. Good for him. He's crushing fastballs, I'm sure. I even looked that up. I'm sure he's crushing fastballs. But, man, am I concerned about that play discipline. Uh, what, 33.7% strikeout rate this year so yeah. far with only a 7.4% walk rate. The, the walk rate is encouraging because he hasn't walked that high since, uh, since A-ball in 2018. So, again, I'm not questioning long-term ability. I'm not even questioning, like – his skill set but man when you see a guy we we're talking about we we're talking about o swing earlier right and i was concerned about the 40 the 43 percent for whatever it was for devers his yeah. is all the way up to 48.7 percent this year small sample i get it but he is such a free swinger and that is i'm looking it up right now that is like 19 percent higher than league average pair that with a swinging strike rate that is more than two times league average at 26.3 percent you are looking at a lot of a guy that is highly dependent on the raw talent and the just, I guess the overall speed aspect of his game, because if he's, you know, he can hit a bunch of ground balls. He can play to a higher Babbitt because of that skill set. But I have to look up, I have to look something up real quick, but that play discipline is so scary. And he's doing that. He's all that swing and miss in his game with below average and like by far below average contact rates. We're talking about a guy who's making overall contact 57.1% of the time. League average is 75.2%. 10% less uh, – sorry, 11% to the point of 11% less contact in the zone than league average and 18.4% or sorry, 17 – well, it's 18.4% less contact outside the zone. So he has all that swing and miss in his game. He's very aggressive swinging, what, 15% more, 16% more than league average while making far less contact than league average. That is legitimately concerning. And we saw – it's funny because Robert was batting prior to this little, you know, a little bit of a hot run. The dude was crushing uh, – the guy was, like, slumping bad. So now he's coming back around, and I feel like that's what's going to be – he's going to play to that. He's going to be very much the up and down, up and down type of guy. It's going to be a roller coaster ride every time. The raw power and everything's there. Like, when he hits the ball, it goes a long way. 
but he's got a, 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 I just don't understand how he's hitting the ball as much as he is. He's got like, he's really depending on just those hanging pitches. Cause he's like, it's funny. Cause you mentioned like he struggles with breaking pitches, but right now he's hitting 359 against them. Yeah. And here's the thing, right? So I have gotten a pretty decent amount of looks at Luis Robert over the years. Um, mm-hmm. ever since the white Sox brought him in, I'm excited to see him now against big league pitching, but, um, one thing I've noticed, and the big thing was with him is, yeah, he struggles with, with breaking pitches. But one thing I've noticed him do this year in the big leagues is I'll, I forgot who they were playing, but it was his first at-bat of the game, and the opposing pitcher threw him four straight sliders. And he spit on one, and he swung all over the last three. It was just a terrible sequence. Like, he looked like a, like a 17-year-old kid facing Max Scherzer for the first time. Okay? <laughs> then the next at-bat – he goes up there. The guy throws him a first-pitch fastball. He spits on it. Then he comes back with a slider. Same spot, same pitch. He stays back, makes the adjustment, and just puts it into right field for a single. So that tells me – and I've seen him do it multiple times. He can hit breaking balls, okay? He's athletic enough. He's a good enough athlete. He, he's that talented that he can hit breaking balls. The problem with me is I think that guys are going to start attacking him more with fastballs and then going soft away. And that's when I think he's going to struggle. And a guy that I know struggles with this because I watch him play every single day is my guy, Fernando Tatis Jr. Okay. Tatis is going to strike out 27, 28, 29, maybe even 30% of the time, but he's such a good hitter that he's going to get away with it because when he's not striking out, he's pissing on baseballs into the gap for base hits. I mean, Robert hits the ball super hard. Right, right now, average exit velocity 91.4. It's not Tatis's 96.1, which is not sustainable, but he hits the ball super hard. And he's such a good athlete that I think he's going to get away with it sometimes. But some people are touting this guy as like a 310, 315 hitter that's going to hit 35 home runs and steal 30 bases. You're looking at a 275, maybe 280 guy that's going to run into 30 home runs because he's super talented and he's going to steal 20 to 25 bases because I don't think he's going to get on base. The biggest thing with me isn't the strikeout rate. The biggest thing with me is how poorly he walks. He doesn't walk a lot. He likes to go up there and hack. He's not patient. And I think eventually that's going to be detrimental to him because big league pitchers are really smart, man. They figure guys out really easily and organizations in general are super smart. So I'm not so worried about him hitting breaking balls, but I'm worried about him struggling with really good pitch sequencing. And I think eventually that's going to come. So I'm not shitting on Luis Robert. I don't think he's going to, you know, just be this bad a guy who's just going to hit 260 with 30 home runs and strike out 40% of the time. But you have to temper your expectations because it's the same thing happened last year with Tatis. He came up. He lit the world on fire, and he went through his peaks and valleys because every single guy does. And Tatis is going to struggle. He's going to slump. He's going to go through a weak stretch this year where he just looks bad because he's 21 in the big leagues. Like, it's going to happen. And I think Luis Roberts is just going to be a more inconsistent version of that. You, you mentioned it. He's going to have weeks where he hits 400 and hits four home runs, and you're super happy you had him. And then there's, like, the next week he could hit 110, strike out 15 times, and look terrible. Like, that's just what it's going to be. So My you have thing, to temper your expectations with Luis Robert. I know. And honestly, Tatis is a great comp because it's kind of that same raw ability, but I think Tatis was the higher tally prospect, obviously. But – at no point in time did Tatis ever, like at least again, a small, very small sample. Because Tatis, you're looking at Tatis's rookie season, like at least I am right now. 
And at no point did he have that bad of plate discipline compared to Robert. Yeah. And that's what concerns me about Robert. And you mentioned it. Robert, because of that raw ability and that upside and potential, he if he puts up 30 and 20, that's a first-round pick in fantasy. But the problem is, is you're – he's banking too much on his hits on his hit tool because he's not walking enough right now. He's walking more than we expected. He's almost walking league average. Like that's not bad. Like that'd be great for his speed, but I don't know, man, like that can, until I see the plate discipline come around, I'll, I will always be a year late on Robert. I, yeah, like, Mondesi, I will be too. Cause Mondesi is the same type of player that people got him because he has a little bit of power, but mostly for a speed tool, Robert having the bigger power and obviously similar speed tool. So he's always going to be drafted and if he if he start, if he finishes off hot, I mean, I could be very wrong on Robert because you know Javier Baez is very similar. Javier Baez is the guy I faded because of that same skill set. That's not skills at the same batting uh, profile. Yeah, thank you, the profile. So I don't get me wrong. There is there are one out of every ten that do defy this whole like my way of thinking when it comes to players and how I like to draft. But nine out of ten times, I'm right. So far, I've seen. Like, nine out of ten times, I will be right about player. And Modesty, I, I was wrong last year, but I'm very much right this year. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I will be – like and Javier and Javi Baez hasn't really been himself in a couple of years. No. He's been oh, he's been solid, but he hasn't been himself in a couple of years as far as, like, that guy that everybody wants. And I think it's mostly because he's not running as much. But I guess yeah. this is just a long way of saying that Robert is good, and I'm not doubting him in Dynasty. I just – I would sell high on him this year because you might have gotten the best out of him already, and the season's short that – and you mentioned play pitchers are going to adjust. They already started to. <laughs> they started throwing the fastball more and the breaking pitches, everything else less. Because I think what he's doing is he's waiting on breaking. He's actually doing these things as breaking balls because he's sitting on them, gets that hanging one and just puts it away, man. Because he's hitting those hangers. Like you see, you see him hitting those home runs, or you're seeing a slider not breaking or a curveball not breaking. And those are what he's crushing. Yeah. But if you look at his whiff rate, the dude, he's whiffing. His whiff rate is 51.1% on breaking pitches this year. Like, he's not – like, he's hitting them, but he's not hitting them. You know what I mean? There's a lot of swing and miss hey, He hits mistakes, and that's what every good, talented guy does. They hit mistakes. But if you make a good, solid pitch – I mean, if, if you pound Luis Robert with fastballs in or challenge him and then you throw a slider away, he's going to swing over every time until and he think, makes that adjustment to spit. And Tatis is the same thing, man. I've seen guys I, – I, I watch, I've watched almost every single Fernando Tatis Jr. at bat this well, year. Well, yeah, you're, you stand him. And – and, there's at bats where he looks like a little leaguer. They'll go fastballs on the inner half. They'll throw him a slider away and they'll swing right over it. He does it every time people attack him and it's just, you know, he's young, but, but, but that's such a hard pitch for young guys to hit in general that people are going to start doing that to Robert. And I obviously think Tatis is a better hitter than Robert. So if, if, he's struggling with it I can only expect Robert to struggle with it too until I see him make an adjustment now I think one thing and I get it right Luis Roberts stole a bunch of bags in the minor leagues he's a super freaky athlete but I think some people look at him and be like oh he's fast so he's gonna steal and I don't know man I feel like there's gonna come a time where the White Sox are just gonna be like hey dude you're way too valuable for us you know we view you as like our young cornerstone franchise guy Maybe we just temper down the steals a little bit. And, like, that's okay. Like, if, if maybe not for fantasy, but if he gives you 10, 12 stolen bags every single year, because there's going to be a time where the White Sox are, are, are going to tell him, like, hey, you got to stop running so much. It's too much of an injury risk. And I expect the same thing for the Padres. I think there's going to be a time where the Padres brass approaches Tatis and goes, hey, man. And I can tell you they already have. Hey, man, you got to tone it down. The injuries you had last year, the hamstring injury, freakish. I need, we need you to stop going. 
full blow motor, 100%, sprint everything out, just like take it easy, relax. And that's going to affect his fantasy value. Do I think if Luis Robert wanted to, he could steal 40 bases at, at the big league level? Hell yeah. He's that fast. He's that good. He's that talented. It's just going to come down to a point where the organization might just be like, hey, take it easy. And stolen bases are going away in baseball anyway. Like, you know, this whole analytical money ball strategy where they're not as effective. People are like, I think teams are, are going to start fading them in general. So just kind of be weary. From a prospect standpoint, I would take Wander Franco over Luis Robert. I'll take Gavin Lux over Luis Robert because he's going to play every day for the best team in baseball. I would take Jared Kalanick over Luis Robert because I think Jared Kalanick could end up being like a legitimate superstar, five category guy, safe guy to be a superstar. And then I'm probably looking at Robert in that four, five, six range where you start to bring in, you know, Mackenzie Gore, uh, Julio Rodriguez, stuff like that. But I, we're not saying that he's not going to be good because he's going to be good. But if you're banking on him hitting 40 home runs and stealing 30 bases every single year, at least for a three or four year stretch, you just got to temper your expectations because of what you're seeing in this small sample size. Oh, I 100% agree. And that's why I said he's a sell for me this year because the guy, you just look at some like just some little things like, for instance, the ups and downs. He he'll go like over four. He'll go over like for stretches with no hits in like four or five games. And then he'll have like a multi-hit game. Like right now, if you look since what was that? How many games is this? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine games. It's like he has a three-game span with no hits, zero for nine. Then he has a three-game. And he's gonna like, do that. He's yeah. gonna do that. And, he, <laughs> and you're gonna hate it. Yeah. And then he has up here like three hits over three games. All right, fine. No hits, two hit game, both of which happen to be home runs. Then he went over three last night. And if you look at his stolen bases, he hasn't stolen base in 14 days, in two weeks. He hasn't stolen base. Yeah. And the last two, and he's gotten caught his last two. He's, he's successful for four out of six, which is great. But the problem is, is he actually sits around that 60 to 65% success rate. That's not good enough. You mentioned that whole backing off on the base pass. If he's running into outs, they're less likely to let him run as well. So, because skill set, you 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 can be as fast as you want to be, but if you're not good at stealing bases, they're not gonna let you run. Period. And yeah. we see guys like Kevin Biggio who aren't the fastest, or and, and Christian Yelich who aren't the fastest, but they know how to steal very well. That they their teams let them run because they're efficient. So it's all in all, my point is is I'm not too concerned long term. It's just this year, like strictly this year. And we and you and I can just go back and forth about this all day. So we're I'm not gonna harp on it too much. Strictly this year, I would just sell high, just this year. Yeah, and I, mean, then, I would too. And then next year, I'm probably going to fade him because he's probably going to end up making me look He's going to go this. super high in, in drafts, too. He's going to go super high. Yeah, and you know what? There's one more name. Can I, can I talk about one more guy that I'm just oh, out yeah, on? Dude. And I, I might be out on going – I'm scared. And that's uh, – until I see some changes, it's your boy – not your boy, but the industry darling of Vlad, man. I am so oh, yeah. concerned about Vlad. Uh, we can get into Vlad because, okay, so, like, one of my really good friends, you know him, uh, my, my guy Ryan – uh, oh, Ryan. Yeah. yeah yeah he we, gave me crap the other day because I comp you, did you see the comp I gave to him no I called him a prince fielder who hits ground balls yeah I mean okay so I love I, I'm not gonna say I love Vlad um the hit tool's of, real part of me it was always Tatis over Vlad yes I'm a Padres fan but like I, I couldn't get behind the fact of people being so hyped from a baseball standpoint of a first base DH only type of guy over a superstar shortstop. But anyway, that's just me being bitter. But the hit tool is real. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to argue that. And he hits everything insanely hard. Like the exit velocity numbers, the hard hit percentage, everything super hard, right? But I'm worried about one, how much he hits the ball in the ground. And I'm, oh, I'm, yeah. 
I'm just, I'm really, really worried about the body. Like I'm worried about the body not aging well. He's 6'2", 250 pounds. We saw him in spring training. He was looking slimmer. And then obviously we went into the summer, the whole, you know, quarantine. And then the summer camp comes out and it, it, it looks like he put on that weight, right? And mm-hmm. he doesn't strike out a lot. He, he doesn't walk a ton, but that's fine. I, I guess if, if, if your strikeout rate isn't super high, I'm not that concerned about how much you don't walk. But I'm really worried about the body. And I'm especially worried about the ground ball rate because it, it doesn't matter how hard you hit the baseball if you just pound it into the ground every single time. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, I, I'm looking at his launch angle even last year was 6.7 degrees. Like, this year it's 5.3. Like, that's not, that's not good. Like, that's, that's Kyle Lewis. That's Kyle yeah. Lewis's launch angle. But the problem, and the problem is, is he has the Kyle Lewis ground ball rate. It's actually worse. Last year was fifty point four percent. This year, it's at right now at sixty percent. That's actually come down because last I looked, it was like sixty three and, and change. And that's where my problem is: is it's not. I'm not questioning the hit tool. We know he can hit. The problem is, is and always will be unless he changes, adds some loft to that swing, or learns how to attack pitches better. Because he's just he's hitting balls into the ground, and until he shows that he's not going to be that type of guy. I'm out on Vlad, and I'm not going to draft him. I, I, again, he's another guy I'll be a year late on because his because the hype will always be there. The price will always be too high. And until, yeah. he's like, until he falls in drafts where there's a chance for a return on investment, I'm not going to take it because look what he's doing. He's, he was like a fourth-round pick this year, fifth-round pick again. after coming. I know it's because the second half was a little better, but he obviously – I think what it is is his whole life, baseball's come easy to him. Yeah. And – I don't, you can't speak. Obviously it's hard to speak to that because that's kind of a non, you can't see that in the numbers, but because baseball's always come easy to him, he hasn't had to try to succeed. Pitchers are, pitchers have figured him out already. And he's making, like you said, when he hits the ball and he, and it can go a long way, he crushes. But the problem is, is if you, your sprints, he, he runs slow. He, he's, a, he's, <laughs> he's, yeah, he's very and, slow. He's a and, and you can't put balls into the ground at that rate. Even if he could just get the ball in the air a little more, and I don't understand why he can't. I mean, I know it's easier said than done. I get that, but his and I, I'm not really out. I can't say dynasty because he's only what 21 years old. Yeah. So at 21 years old, he can make the adjustments. It's a matter of willingness. Does he want to work? Does he want this? He's not a guy who he's not hungry for the money. He grew up, you know, I'm sure his dad and took care of him, and I'm sure he grew up in a relatively wealthy family. So money isn't a motivator for him. You would think. You know what I mean? He's never ne- needed to grind it out and really – and, again, it came so easy for him. How much of that is him not wanting to put in the extra work to get better because he's never had to? So I'm just wondering I'm, – I'm not sure if I'm questioning his work ethic or not because he put in the effort to lose the weight. Is he, didn't he mention going into the last offseason or the offseason like, hey, I'm going, to, I'm going to do the gym for the first time in my life. He's never yeah, had to be a gym yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's like that work ethic was never there. But then you mentioned – I think it was Griffey back uh, – he's mentioned that he's never lifted weights. Griffey was a guy that just naturally played baseball, was naturally athletic, naturally in shape. But to comp him to Griffey is not fair because Griffey was amazing and had that swing that was just a piece of art. But anyway, that's what I'm saying. Is I'm, quite, I'm starting to wonder about the work ethic with him. That's all. And I don't know if you know people that might have seen it. Maybe he has it and he just hasn't shown it. Hopefully it changes. If he sees these struggles continuing, maybe his dad will get in his ear even. The work ethic will get there because – Right now, it's not working, and we need to see an, an adjustment. And, yes, he is only 21 years old, so Ryan's going to listen to this because he, he clapped back quick on Twitter when I called him Prince Fielder. But, honestly, Prince Fielder might be a best-case scenario because first base, bigger guy, if he can get that swing going. Prince Fielder was fantastic behind the plate – or not behind the plate, but as a hitter. So, if, we, if Vlad becomes Prince Fielder, is that really a bad comp? 
at this I point. I think it's a bad comp because of the way he was hyped up coming up, you know, like. But that's not, not fair because. I know, I, I understand. I'm not saying that, like, if, if in 15 years Vlad's career looks like what Prince Fielder's trajectory was on, then, yeah, that's, that's, that's still a successful major league career. And well, he's that's gonna, the thing. Prince yeah. got hurt. And I'm, exactly. I'm not saying uh, if Prince didn't get hurt, we could have seen another couple of big years. We would have seen – he would have hit 450, 500 home runs. I'm not, I'm not I'm, worried about that. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. If, if Vlad turned into that, I'm, that's per- – because I don't know what people expect. He's, he was never going to steal bases. So but, people, but I'm just saying, like, the hype around this kid. I mean, he was the first 80-grade hit tool ever by MLB Pipeline on their MLB like top prospect 100 uh, top 100 prospect list reveal show Jim Callis legitimately said Vlad Guerrero Jr. was going to be a Hall of Famer before he even played in the big leagues so I think that the hype around him was was already impossible for him to live up to unless he came up and was amazing like literally amazing I just don't understand why that comp is so bad for people man I'm looking at it and Prince Fielder was a 283 career hitter he has a season with 50 home runs, 46 home runs. Yeah. And he hit in back-to-back seasons from 07 to 2012. People, I don't know if people forgot, but 30 home runs was the low mark for him. He hit 30, 38, 32, 46, 34, 50. Vlad could – this is like, – why would – and if you look at the batting the, – the play discipline, a career 16.9% walk rate and a career 12 uh, – sorry, 16.9% K rate and a career 12.4% walk rate. And that's including some down seasons here and there. My point is, is Vlad – could be every bit of this four category guy and everybody thinks that's a bad comp but that's honestly a perfect comp if he puts the ball in the air this is yeah. i think prince fielder prime prince fielder maybe that's why i should have said prime prince prince fielder is essentially what if we get if we get that out of vlad why is that a bad comp i don't understand how much better they wanted from him what like what did you honestly did you think he was gonna did people want more of a 350 type of hitter is that i think people legitimately thought he was gonna hit like 330 like last year i'm not even exaggerating to you there were people on this app on twitter that oh, were saying <laughs> vlad guerrero jr was gonna win the batting title as a rookie like that's asinine i don't think i mean and i'm not fading vlad i'm fading him because i'm concerned i'm not out on him because he's 21 years old the pedigree's there but i'm worried about how much he hits the ball on the ground and I'm really worried about the body because the body's not going to age well. And you already saw the Blue Jays, man. The Blue Jays already went ahead and moved him over to first base. They know. He's probably not even going to play first base. He's probably going to be a DH long-term. And, you know, we talk about a guy like Jordan Alvarez who, you know, has the, the knee issues. He's, he's another a, guy I'm out on. <laughs> he's a bigger guy. You know, he, he can't play the field. He's a DH. He's already struggling with, you know, the running and the lower half issues. I think Vlad's going to deal with lower half issues, man. And I'm telling you, as a guy who's dealt with lower half stuff, your lower half goes as a baseball player, and that saps a lot of what you can do. So I'm, I'm more worried about how, how the longevity of his career than I am more worried about Vlad as a baseball player because I think he's an awesome hitter, and I think he'll eventually probably figure it out. But I just think that the hype around him when he was coming up, it was, it was impossible for him to live up to what he was supposed to be from the very beginning. But, I mean, that's all I have, man. Yeah, uh, yeah Jordan, we, we just talk about the fact that his knees, strictly the knees. It's not the talent, not the bat. It's his knees. And I comped him. To, oh, did you see that comp real yeah, quick? Yeah, Craig Odin. Craig Odin. <laughs> that was and so funny. People gave me a hard time because, like, I was, it was kind of tongue-in-cheek, but – People were like, well, he did more than Greg Oden ever did. But if you do look at it in terms of baseball, uh, basketball and baseball, a half a season in baseball really isn't that long. So if he continues with these knee issues all through his career and he gave us one great half that he never lives up to after that, 
kind of the comp will work, but don't get me wrong. That was really just tongue in cheek. And I, I asked, will he become that? Of course, shortly after he goes on the IL, like a day later, yeah. of course, I'm like, the timing was impeccable, but it let's just, let's just say like, I'm not questioning the hit tool at all, but the fact that he's 23 years old, can't play the outfield because they have to worry about his knees already. Super concerning. It's concerning. It's con- and I think people overlook that kind of stuff. You know, like even a guy like Pete Alonso, I think Pete Alonso's body's going to age terribly. And you know that he's, he's a DH. If the National League fully adopts the, the DH at some point, he's going to be a DH because that guy is a horrible defender. So <laughs> You just love to hate on him. It's fantastic. Like I'm just worried about these big guys, man, because it's over the course yeah. of a 10-year career. Like it, it's concerning, you know, so – I don't know. Right. Uh, well, now I'll let you finish out. Now I'll let you close this out. I was, yeah, I, was gonna... I, I will just say I just got a Twitter <laughs> notification that uh, Nate Pearson's going to the injured list with elbow tightness and discomfort. So that's there, not a good sign. Here comes Tommy John probably. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's not a good sign. But, um, you know, that's what that's, that's all I got, man. I, I appreciate you coming on, obviously. You know, first oh, podcast, first guest. We had, I thought we had a solid conversation. I definitely set the bar low for you. You're welcome. <laughs> well, um, you know, this show is going to be, you know, probably bi week or multi weekly episodes. So I, I would really appreciate it if you guys would just sub, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. If you like it, leave us five star rating. If not, leave us a comment. Tell us why we suck at this. Okay. So uh, um, you can find Curland at Mike underscore Curland at the Basis Loaded Podcast Network. Got us up to that, man. I drive a lot. I'm always listening to your guys' stuff. You know, even if I make fun of you half the time when I'm listening to you, in my yeah. mind, that's what I'm doing. Beer, bourbon, baseball with you and my guy, SP Streamer, one of my favorite guys in the whole industry. Always a good laugh. Always Don't talk him up. Dude, I love him. I love him. <laughs> By the way, I have some beef with him, though, because – so, you know how he did that shark league on, on fan tracks where he did like the starting yeah. pitcher only. So he ripped me for taking Denelson Lamette so early in that draft. And like, I'm crushing that league. I'm in first place by like 15 points. All my, all the guys I picked are lighting the world on fire. So <laughs> yeah, take that Simeone, but uh, Suck it, Simeone. Really like what you guys are doing over there, man. Rotorballer, Fantrax, they're lucky to have you. So. Whoa, 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 whoa. Not part of Fantrax. Don't okay. Here. Give, don't they here. used Give to be lucky to have you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But um, maybe they don't feel the same way, but that's a whole other discussion, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming on. Oh, always, dude. I'm, it was all a lot of fun. We, we could do this again sometime. Yeah. Thanks, guys, for listening. Follow us on Twitter at NextOnDeckBSB and have a good one.